today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. It was God's will that they be there. You know, we do err greatly when we misinterpret the circumstances in our trials. As I must be out of God's will. I must be out of God's favor. I must be out of God's love. Otherwise, this wouldn't be happening. No. In fact, the opposite is true. You can be right smack in the middle of the storm of your life and yet be right smack in the middle of God's will for your life. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Hebrews. We often think that if we're going through storms in our life, we must have screwed up somewhere along the way. But today, Pastor J.D. reminds us that the trials in our life are often the will of God for our life. Sometimes we have to go through the tough times in order to grow and learn and appreciate what we have. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Sadly, this is one of the devil's most successful lies. He gets us to think that God's forgotten us, that God doesn't care. I mean, we're going through the trial of our lives. We're hanging on for dear life, hanging on by a thread. And isn't the enemy right there in your life? I know he's always there in my life. He's right there, always on time. In fact, sometimes he shows up early. (laughs) Puts thoughts in my mind. I don't know, man. Doesn't seem like God's hearing your prayers. He's surely not answering them. It seems like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Maybe the reason why he doesn't hear your prayer is because he doesn't care. And we believe that. We believe that. That's the devil trying to steal our hope, kill our joy, and destroy our faith. And If he's successful, even in some measure, he's replacing all three of those, by the way. Instead of hope, it's hopelessness. Instead of faith, it's fear. And instead of joy, it's sorrow and anxiety. Nehemiah 8.11, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I know this might come as a surprise, but It's true. Satan knows the scriptures better than you, better than me. He knows the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if he wants to render you powerless and weak, how's he going to do it? Ah, got to kill that joy because that's the source, that's the fuel in the tank of their strength. And he knows it. What about when he starts planting those seeds of doubt and they begin to germinate 
and sprout. Isn't it true that we begin to question the Lord, His goodness, His love? That's a biggie, by the way. We start to question the love that God has for us. Talk about that more in a moment. The second one that I want to spend the remainder of our time on today is in verses 13 through 20. And it's this encouragement that you are firm and secure in the Lord. You will never be forgotten by the Lord. You are firm and secure in the Lord. Here, the writer reassures them of the unchangeable promises of God that he swore on oath. I I appreciate the Holy Spirit's inspiration for the writer of Hebrews to articulate this and communicate this. See, God has a problem. Not that God has problems. I'm just speaking in, you know, human terms, right? He has this dilemma, maybe better said. What's the dilemma? Well, you know, when we swear on oath, we swear to God. We put our hand on the Bible and we swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Right? Do we still do that? I don't know. I haven't been in. (laughs) Hopefully it's a Bible. Now, what's God going to do? I swear to myself. That's basically what he's saying. Because you're swearing on oath, and I'm the one that you're swearing on oath to, and so I want to swear to you, on oath to you, but I'm God, so I'll just swear to myself. What are you swearing? I'm swearing, and by the way, maybe this is as good of a time as any to clear up a misnomer concerning Peter. You know, when we're told that he swore the third time he denied Christ, that's not foul vulgarities that he swore that came out of his mouth. No, he swore that he never knew Jesus. He swore on oath that he never knew Jesus when he denied him the third time. So what's God swearing on oath? God is swearing on oath that he cannot lie. It's impossible. See it like this. I I hope this isn't making it even more complicated. I don't mean to do that if it is. But it's not that God won't lie. It's that God can't lie. Do you see the difference? That's a game changer, right? So he's swearing on oath. It is impossible for him to lie. He absolutely cannot lie. Okay? So what are you swearing on oath? Oh, I'm swearing on oath that I will never forget you and that you are firm and secure, anchored in hope because of Jesus. We're going to see this more in chapters 6 and 7, this high priest Melchizedek. For those of you that were with us in our study through the Old Testament, this was a type of Christ. By the way, pre-law, Melchizedek, the, the high priest. 
And Jesus is likened to Melchizedek as the high priest who enters in as a forerunner to go in before us and for us. And that curtain is torn and he makes atonement. And that's it. That's our hope. Our hope is Jesus. I love that song we just saying, actually all of them, but that last one. You know, it's sometimes maybe cliche when we say that Jesus is our only hope, but Jesus is our only hope. It's been said that you'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. I look at the landscape in the world today, And I got to tell you, and I know we talk about it every week in the updates, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have that hope, that blessed hope, that at any time now that trumpet is going to sound, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up, raptured up to meet the Lord in the air. That's not, like we talked about last week, this blessed hope, like I sure hope, I sure hope so. No. (laughs) It is an anchored hope in the person of Jesus Christ who cannot lie. It's settled. It's the truth. It's the truth. And it's for this reason that we can take hold of the hope set before us and be greatly encouraged having no doubt that we are secure. So much so that this hope is an anchor for our soul that stabilizes us and keeps us in the shipwrecks when the storms of life hit. And the storms of life hit, don't they? If you were to ask me what I thought was one of the most encouraging examples of hope in the midst of life's storms, it would have to be the account in Acts 27. In the Gospels too, how many times were the disciples caught in a storm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee? Actually one of my favorite, well they're all my favorite, but (laughs) was when Jesus sends them on ahead in the boat, on the Sea of Galilee, and says, I'll meet you on the other side. And there's an urgency on the part of the Lord, and there's an interesting detail in the gospel accounts, because we're told that Jesus immediately, with urgency, got him into the boat, into the lake, (laughs) into the storm, knowingly. Here they are, out smack in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and they are in the storm of their life. This is a perilous storm, and they think, that's it, we're all going to die. And Jesus is watching everything. And that's when Jesus comes to them walking on water in the midst of the storm. He hasn't come the storm yet. And Peter, I love Peter, At first they think it's a ghost, they're full of fear, and then Peter goes, wait, it's the Lord. Lord, if that's you, bid me come. And Jesus said, go ahead. 
<laughs> Come. And what does he do? I mean, I know you've heard this taught maybe a hundred different ways. He steps out of that boat. The storm is still raging. And he walks on water. We're not told how long he was walking on water. I like how one suggested humorously that it wasn't very long because he took his eyes, we're told, off of the Lord and he was looking at the storm. One suggested that he was looking back at the disciples going, hey, look at me, I'm walking on water. And boom, down he went. I mean, that'll preach, but that's not what happened, maybe. So he takes his eyes off the Lord and down he goes. And then Jesus saves him when he prays a three-word prayer. He doesn't have time for our Father which art in heaven. <laughs> be thy name. He's, he's done. It's a three-word prayer, Lord, save me. God answers three-word prayers. Sometimes we're in, in the midst of a storm. That's, all, that's about all you're going to get is three-word prayers. And God hears those prayers, and God answers those prayers, and God saved him. And then they get in the boat, and then he calms the storm. There's another account, you're familiar with it, when he's actually in the boat when the storm hits. And he's sleeping. And the disciples are like incensed. They're like, don't you care? We're going to die. And they wake him up. He's like, man, I was really getting a good, you know, nap in. And why didn't you wake me? And he calms the storm. I think he went back to sleep. And there's always a kind and gentle exhortation and encouragement when he asks them, why? why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Why is your faith so little when your God is so big? He's the God of the storm. There's one other detail, and then we'll get to Acts 27, but it's very interesting because the very thing that they feared was the very thing that Jesus walked on top of and came to them and silenced and calmed with a word. With a word. Could you imagine the relief? If I'm one of the disciples and that happened, I'm in that boat just going, <laughs> that was close. We almost died. Here's the thing. They were right smack in the middle of the storm of their life, yet they were right smack in the middle of God's will for their life. Jesus sent them into that storm. It was God's will that they be there. You know, we do err greatly when we misinterpret the circumstances in our trials, as I must be out of God's will. I must be out of God's favor. I must be out of God's love. Otherwise, this wouldn't be happening. No. In fact, the opposite is true. You can be right smack in the middle of the storm of your life, and yet be right smack in the middle of God's will for your life. How does that work? Well, I like how one explained it. It really just, the light bulbs went off for me. And the Lord just opened up my eyes to that account. 
You know that urgency that Jesus had to immediately get them into the boat, into the other side? Immediately? Well, it just came on the heels of this miraculous feeding of the multitudes. And imagine you're one of the disciples and this little boy brings you his lunch with some fish and some bread. And Jesus says, bring it here. And he blesses it and breaks it and multiplies it miraculously. And they started distributing it. Now we're told there were four, but these are just the men. When you count the women and children, you could be well nigh 20,000 people. And the disciples are passing this. And every time someone's hand went in there, there was more and more and more. In fact, there was so much they even had leftovers. Now, if I'm one of the disciples again, and this is a healthy thing to do, by the way, put yourself there. What would you do? And stop with this shedding yourself in a favorable light. I would have never doubted the Lord. Yes, you would have. Yes, you would have. You know, when we get into the Old Testament, the Israelites are murmuring and complaining, I'd never do that. You'd be right at the front. Were there not enough graves in Egypt? You brought us out here to kill us. So why, pray tell, was Jesus wanting to immediately get them in the boat with such urgency? Because he was protecting them from a greater trial. See, if I'm one of the disciples and I'm there and I'm doing this, I'm thinking, oh. And they're looking at me like, wow. You're like, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Pretty cool, yeah? We've got an instant mega church. Jesus, why do you want to get us to the other side? We could start a church right here. Calvary Chapel of the multitude feeding. Uh, <laughs> first church, second church, whatever they call them. And that was the trial of pride that Jesus was wanting to protect them from. That was the greater trial. Sometimes God will send you into a trial to protect you from a greater trial. That's the urgency. Well, it certainly had a purpose with the Apostle Paul, of all people. <laughs> the Apostle Paul had actually given up all hope of surviving yet another perilous storm and imminent shipwreck. This was not Paul's first rodeo, so to speak. Here he is again. Let me set the stage. He's on this ship with other prisoners, and they're on their way to Rome, where he is to stand trial before Caesar. And they, against Paul's advice, <laughs> set sail. And they're coming into the hurricane season, and sure enough, a nor'easter hits. And they are throwing everything overboard, uh, you'll forgive the graphic nature of it, but they're throwing up. They can't eat. They, that, that detail, not the throwing up part, but the not being able to eat part is in there. I mean, this ship is being tossed like a toothpick to and fro, and it's falling apart. And they're throwing everything overboard, and it's going on for days. And we pick it up in verse 20, Acts 27, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. 
and the storm continued raging, Luke is writing. Luke is there. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Interesting. Uh, we all finally, in other words, they had held on to hope, but then it just kept going and the storm continued raging and they finally said, this is it. This is how it ends. We have no hope of surviving this. And even the Apostle Paul gave up hope. We means we, all of us, everyone on board had given up hope. Now, it's important to understand that Paul had already been shipwrecked three times before this storm en route to stand trial before Caesar. And I point that out because in this storm, Paul had resigned himself to the reality that he's not going to make it. You ever felt like that? I'm not going to make it out of this one. This one's really bad. <laughs> this is how it ends. I mean, God has pulled me through before, but this storm, there's no hope but God. But God, as only He can, sends a reminder to Paul, and it comes at night. And isn't it interesting that it's usually in those dark passages, those seasons in our lives, the night seasons in our lives. I'm convinced in my own life that the reason why God will speak to me in those night seasons is because that's when it's quieter in my life and He's got my undivided attention. And the volume of my life is turned down. And I'll even take it a step further and venture to say that God, like with the disciples, will deem it fit sometimes to send us knowingly into the storm just for that reason alone. Because isn't it true that it's when we're in those storms of life, those trials of life, those anguish, anguishing, painful, I mean painful, that's when God has our attention. That's when we're hypersensitive to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. That's when God has us all to Himself and He can speak into our lives. Hey, J.D., there's something I want to show you. I had to allow this so I could show you this, because had I not allowed this, you would have never seen this. Hey, J.D., there's something I want to tell you. I want to speak to you. But I'm not going to clamor and compete with all the other voices in your life. So I had to allow this storm in your life so that it would be only me that you would hear. And when I speak, I speak in that still, small voice. It's a whisper. In the original language, it, it carries, this is Elijah, by the way, it carries the idea of 
a still small refining voice where God just fine tunes. I mean, he gets right down to that deep recess in our hearts that only he knows. You've been listening to another edition of In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for tuning in to study the Word of God. As you continue to learn from the book of Hebrews with Pastor J.D., don't discount the things you're hearing. God may be speaking to you individually today through Scripture. We encourage you to keep reading on your own, too, to further understand what you've heard on today's broadcast. If you're not already part of a local church that you call home, we encourage you to find one and attend regularly. This only helps you to grow in your relationship with God and others. If you don't have a church home, come be a part of ours. You'll find all the information you need, including service times and directions, to Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you can also access more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings like you heard today, including his weekly prophecy updates. In addition to that, you may be interested in the ABCs of Salvation under the Resources tab. This is a simple guide to understanding the good news of salvation in Jesus. As we continue to learn from the book of Hebrews together, we'd be honored to pray for you during this study. Would you let us know what those prayer requests might be? Just fill out the contact form under the About tab at calvarychapelkaneohe.com or come find us on social media. There are links to our Twitter and Instagram pages on our website calvarychapelkaneohe.com That's all we have time for today but thanks for listening to this edition of In Spirit and Truth. Only me true to you.